Welcome to the AWP podcast series. This event originally occurred at the AWP conference in New York on January 31st, 2008. The event features Steve Allman, Brian Evanston, Daphne Calote, Ellen Lippman, and Deb Olin Unferth. <laughs> this is Shaping a Short Story Collection panel, and my name is Ellen Lithman. I wanted to say a few words about how I came up with this idea for the, um, for the panel. I was one of the best AWP panels I've been to. It was a couple of years ago in Vancouver, and uh, it was organized by novelist Sherry Joseph, and it was called This Dog Won't Hunt. And uh, that quote came apparently from Barry Hanna, who said, uh, allegedly this, to one of the panelists upon reading the draft, a draft of her novel. And the whole idea was, how do, we know, how do you know if your novel draft is actually going to succeed and become a novel? Are you on the right track? And it was a great panel, but at the time, I was editing, uh, revising a short story collection, and I was really wishing there would have been you know, a panel for short story writers or people working on a short story collection that would be similar. Um, so this is how the idea came about. Um, you know, if you're here, chances are you're probably writing short stories, you're probably thinking about a collection or putting together a collection, or maybe you are, already have a collection that you're shopping around. Um, and, um, you know, as you probably also know that, um, you know, I've been told repeatedly how hard it is to sell short story collections, how, you know, aid editors don't want them, agents don't want them. Um, and yet, you know, the collections do come out and uh, a lot of them are quite successful. So I decided to ask some of my favorite short story writers uh, who've published books of stories to join me here so we could um, talk about sort of what are the realities of putting together a collection, what kind of advice we can come up with together. Um, you know, and all the writers here are very different in subject matter and style and hopefully we sort of will generate, you know, the best possible pool of, you know, ideas and information. Um, so let me introduce uh, the panelists. Uh, Steve Almond is the author of two short story collections, My Life in Heavy Metal, published by Groove, and uh, The Evil Bibi, Evil Bibi Chow, published by Algonquin. He's also the author of Which Brings Me to You, uh, Candy Freak, and uh, his latest a collection of essays, Not That You Asked. Um, Elizabeth Graver says <clears throat> about My Life in Heavy Metal, Steve's first collection, the stories are as sexy as funny and funny as they are sad and knowing. Steve Almond takes us deep into, a t into the tangled country of lust, love, and heartbreak and proves to be a remarkably talented guide. Uh, next we have Daphne Kalate. Uh, she's the author of Calamity and Other Stories, published by Anchor, a division of Random House. A collection of loosely interrelated tales following three pairs of friends over three decades. The book was a Boston Herald editor's, editor's choice as well as one of the notable books of 2005 profiled in Poets and Writers magazine. Jhumpa Lahiri called Daphne's Kalate stories old-fashioned in the best sense of the word, plain spoken and melancholy about ordinary people struggling with the trials of ordinary life. Few writers I know speak with such clear-eyed compassion, such quiet humor and grace. Um, next up we have Brian Evanson. Um, Brian is the author of several novels and five short story collections, including Altman's Tongue, published by Knopf, 
Contagion and Other Stories uh, from Wordcraft, and The Wavering Knife from Fiction, Collection, uh, Fiction Collective 2. Uh, his most recent novel is The Op Open Curtain. Samuel R. Gelani wrote about the wavering, the wavering Knife, Brian's uh, most recent collection. Like Poe's, Evanson's stories range from horror to humor. Um, a similar high critical intelligence is always in control. We read them with care, with our guard up, only to find they have already slipped inside and gotten to work, refining the feelings, the vision, the life. Um, and we have uh, Deb Allen Unfer, um, who is the author of Minor Robberies, part of a book set from McSweeney's 145 Stories in a Small Box. Uh, her novel is coming out of McSweeney's um, this coming year, right, later this year, um, and uh, the, soft, uh, the soft cover version will, will be coming out from Grove, Grove Atlantic. Um, and uh, a review in Time Out New York has, has this to say about Deb's uh, stories. Onfer's genre-busting genre minor robberies specializes in dark fairy tale-like <coughs> stories and wickedly clever narratives. Many of the skewed tales play up the impossibility of reaching a truth. But even when she is at her most atmospheric, Onfer captures a distinctly tragic and funny off-kilter world. So if you can see from those introductions, the stories, the collections are very different. And to round, round up of the list, uh, there's myself, Ellen Littman, and uh, my uh, first book is uh, a collection of stories. The Last Chicken in America came out from Norton this year, uh, well, actually last year, um, as a novel in stories. And uh, we can talk about novels and stories probably at some point, too. Um, Okay, so I figured that, uh, and I apologize, I can't really make eye contact with anyone because I don't, I, the lights are so blinding, I can't see anyone. <laughs> um, I thought we would, you know, start kind of by way of introduction by, you know, with people talking a little bit about the collections, about how they came about, um, how did the idea come about? We're just writing stories, and um, you know, and then realize suddenly, like, okay, well, this could be a book. Or did you have the idea for the collection right away uh, to begin with? Um, how did it come, all come about? At what point did you know that you actually had a collection on your hands? And I guess we'll start with Steve. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Uh, set out to, I didn't have an idea, I didn't have a big idea. I just, uh, like maybe some of you, I just was writing stories for probably about seven or eight years. And finally, uh, s stories got placed in slightly better literary magazines. And uh, I, the, the, originally the, the collection went out, an agent sent it out as um, an earlier a version of it was uh, one of these kind of gimmicky agent things they do where they said, well, okay, yeah, it's a collection and it's in three parts, the, the head, the heart, and the groin, you know, because the collection was, <laughs> I don't think she said groin, maybe she said loins, I don't know. But um, it, the idea was that it was, yeah, it's just one of these fucking gimmicks. And um, the stories weren't that good, and so that idea of the story collection never got taken. But I continued to write stories. Um, and eventually what happened is uh, an editor at a magazine who I'd been sending a lot of stories to got in touch with an editor at a publishing house, which is the best way these things can happen, frankly, is if it's, if it's the editors who are involved, because they're the ones who really give a shit about the writing, um, as opposed to the commercial value of what you're writing. 
And uh, this young editor who my agent had already pitched to that same house, but not to this young editor. She'd pitched to her pal who she has lunch with. Um, this young editor actually said, you know, we'd like to buy the collection. I had called it the body and extremist. That I thought was whatever, literary or something. And uh, they said, sure, we'll, you know, we'll buy it and we'll give you a little advance, but it's now called My Life in Heavy Metal. Um, which I think was part of their maybe smart, I don't know, idea of how they were going to try to position the book. Um. Um, and I too was just writing short stories. It was the genre that I felt comfortable working in. I began, I guess I was learning at first, just practicing. And I always assumed they would be a collection because they were thematically related. Um, just I tended to write about um, I tended to write about um, quirks of fate or of the heart or um, failures of relationships. So I, uh, I always had um, kind of the idea of calamities, big or small. Um, and I thought that uh, one theme was enough to unify a collection, so I thought of it that way. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll answer the question about how it came to be published maybe later. I have a feeling that will come yeah. up. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> my, my first collection that I published was not actually the first collection I wrote. And uh, the first collection I wrote, uh, I had a very kind of fixed notion of what it should be and you know had all sorts of ideas and it fit together really well. And uh, I got a contract for it from a small press and then um, it just for various reasons the press kind of collapsed. And so I, I had this this kind of complete object that uh, um, felt like it was finished in all the piece and um, um, that I had nothing, I, I didn't know what to do with. Um, and then I sent a short novella to an editor at Knopf and he didn't want it, but he passed it on to another editor and that editor didn't want it either, but he thought that uh, um, we might be able to work out a collection. And so I started writing um, stories towards a collection, and then after I'd written about half the stories that are in Altman's tongue, um, I was given a contract. So it, it kind of came about very randomly, and I, I can think about a lot of people I know who, I mean, as Steve was saying, it's it's often um, l weird luck or, uh, you know, just someone who talks to someone at a party or something that, that makes a, a book come about. And uh, I, I can think Francois Camoyne used to tell a story of he stayed in a summer house once and he left his manuscript under the bed and it happened that an agent stayed in the house after. <laughs> so as long as you can arrange to only stay in houses that agents stay in, I think you'll be just fine. Except you can't afford them. <laughs> um, so um, I think that I, um, at first I was just writing stories like everybody else and then um, I think that at some point, I realized that all those stories that I was that I was writing to form a collection of some kind um, just weren't working at all. And then I wrote, I started writing stories, really short stories that were all very voiced. And I really quickly decided that I wanted to do a collection of um, all pieces that were sort of told in the same kind of voice in this sort of, um, and the title at the time was A Serious Explanation. So I wanted it to be this person sort of explaining kind of confusedly all of these things and each one was gonna be a separate story. So um, even though um, even though it really wasn't the same narrator, it was like they were connected in that way. Um, 
And at first it was longer stories and shorter stories. Um, and then it was basically rejected by every press in the country. And then some presses more than once. <laughs> and then um, McSweeney's, well, Dave Eggers came up with this idea of putting three books of short shorts into a box. And one of them would be by him, and one of them would be by me, and one of them would be by Sarah Manguso. So we each, um, so I had to cut out all my longer pieces, and then it was just, you know, um, short shorts in a box. So that's how it happened. Um, I think I also knew pretty early on that what I was had in mind would be was a collection. I um, my book is about Russian immigrants uh, in Pittsburgh, of all places. And uh, I think when I was start, I started to write kind of like with every like like everyone through you know in, in classes, workshops, uh, you know, writing stories, and I sort of. Even, fairly quickly came to you know Ria to understand that this this was something interesting. This is something I was I wanted to keep working on the immigrant stories, um, and I um, I knew that they would be all set in the same neighborhood. I knew that they would be all about Russian immigrants. I knew that there would be some recurring characters, but I have I didn't know how many how 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 I was going to do that, um, and I knew that I wanted to kind of. Um, organize them in sort of chronological order, sort of starting from stories about characters who just arrived in America to towards stories, you know, uh, about people who've been there for a few years to, you know, two, three, four, seven, just to show how the kind of the experience accumulate, how they adjust, how their lives change. Um, and I also knew that um, I think the first story and the last story have to be very strong in a collection. That's kind of one piece of advice that I was, I, th I think I've heard early on. And beyond that, I had no idea really how to structure, how to put everything together. So, uh, which leads me to my next question uh, to, you know, all of us, I guess. How did you know how to organize the stories within the collection? Um, did you have some kind of, you know, guiding kind of idea of how it would be? Um, and um, kind of on a more general note, uh, should a short story collection, um, like a story or a novel, have a, an arc, a narrative arc? And if so, how does one find it? How do you, how does one decide on, you know, what that arc would be? Um, should we go back to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always do that. Um, well, this is going to be a disappointing answer. Uh, I, I don't. I don't really. I, I don't think that I have a, the kind of mind that that makes those kinds of maps of, of this is my collection. That's about like, you know, Daphne had a clear idea of a of a theme. I've never even. I don't even think I know entirely what a theme is. Um, and so, when I was when I was putting together my life in heavy metal. I maybe had the idea that it was about um, s the way people throw their bodies before their hearts, sort of suffering of desire and heartbreak. Um, but not all the stories were about that at all. There were three stories that were the same <laughs> character at different points in their lives. And the first story sort of predicted the kind of trouble that this character would get into in the, by the last story. And so they form maybe the spine of that book. But the other, uh, the, the other stories within the collection are very different. And I was quite intentional about that because I didn't want to write the sort of story collection that people would be able to put into a box, which is essentially what this kind of incredibly anemic super superficial critical culture in this country does. They just are trying to look for the angle that gives them an excuse to be able to write about a book. 
Um, and I'm very sorry to be saying that and to say that with some rancor, but that is, that is what you're facing. And these stories that are very precious to you that are making a very inimitable personal kind of map that might be geographic and might be socioeconomic, but is more likely in its deepest form to be emotional um, and psychological, critics aren't going to get that. Um, and and the, the kind of pressure that they're under, and I use critics very loosely. I mean, the people who end up writing reviews. Um, so for instance, I put as a very intentionally, and had big long arguments with the publishing house about trying to place second in my life in heavy metal, a story that was very quiet, that was not at all about sex and young people and, and dealing with death and the failure to make emotional connections with your family. And then third, I put a story in that was told from the point of view of a woman uh, and, and was dealing with a whole different set of concerns. And I don't, you know, the, the, the second story, which I thought surely would maybe establish that this wasn't just kind of a one-note collection, was never mentioned. Um, so I think that was a, a disappointment, but it kind of taught me the lesson that you're going to get put in a box, and the less you cooperate with that, the better. When the second, when I put together a second, uh, unless that, unless you really have in mind something that's internal, that is, it's not imposed by the market, it's the kind of map that you want to make. It happens that you're fascinated to be writing about the immigrant, Russian immigrant experience in Pittsburgh. That's the map that you want to make. But it shouldn't come, certainly not from a fucking agent, um, and, and, and it shouldn't even come from an editor if it doesn't resonate within you. If they've got great suggestions that help help push you further, that's terrific. But if they're just imposing it, then you're allowing the invisible hand of the market to be messing with your art. Um, the second collection is completely, if anybody has read it, which you haven't, but it's completely disorganized, or it doesn't have any, you can't say, oh, he's writing about X, Y, or Z. Um, but in fact, if you're writing good short stories, I honestly believe that your preoccupations and your concerns, your obsessions are naturally just going to emerge in whatever fictive disguise. Because if you're writing well, you're writing really about the, the deepest part of you, and that's unified by you being you with your own crazy mishigas. So that second collection, because it was something that was almost an afterthought with another book, they didn't force me to try to find a theme like my life in heavy metal, it's young guys. You know, they didn't try to do that at all. And as a result, the stories are all over the map, which are a lot of how my favorite story collections are. They're hard to get into the world, and not a lot of people are going to read them, but I like when it's just tutti frutti. You know, you don't know what you're going to get. You know, and I like that too, and I want to add, um, you know, I imagine some of you already have maybe a whole book of stories and are trying to figure out exactly how to order it, but I think the bigger question to keep in mind, again, is just what, that you're writing them from the heart, I think, rather than being forced into that idea of order, because, and I'll just give you quickly some background for my book. I had a book of random stories that I thought were good and then again that were thematically linked. I didn't think they're, I thought it was really tightly linked by that they were all about this sort of similar theme. At, at the same time I was trying to write a novel about all these characters going to a wedding um, and some of the characters in the novel were a lot like the characters in my stories and a friend sort of pointed it out to me. I, at the same time in my story collection I had one story about a bridesmaid going to a wedding and I had another story about a bridal shower. <laughs> um, <laughs> this must have been on my mind. Anyway, <laughs> um, you know, 
it wasn't, I have to say, it wasn't until an agent said, you have to link these for me to sell it, that, oh, I, I should say, sorry, the actual manuscript that I had of my kind of random stories actually had four stories that con concerned the same characters. So I had four linked stories and six, seven, eight random ones, which I thought was fine. I've read books like that. I didn't see why that was a problem. But of course, the minute the agent saw that, aha, can you link them? Well, it just so happened I had this novel that had these characters who were the same. I had actually already played with that. So I was ready, I'd done so much writing, and I think that's, my advice is just, if you're writing what you're thinking about, it all fits together, you know? So within, like, it took me a week, I just plucked all these other stories. I thought they were chapters, they were stories. I had a book, but it took an agent, you know, to, to tell me that. <laughs> um, and so I guess that's, my advice like beyond just ordering them. And then I will say, even when I gave them to the agent, I did this Quentin Tarantino thing where I put them all in random order because I thought that was cool. And then she just put them in chronological order. So <laughs> another friend did that at the same time too. So <laughs> anyway. Um, I, I think it's been really different for me from book to book. And so, uh, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll just talk mainly about the first collection. and. Um, as I was putting that together, I, I, you know, I had a sense of what I wanted in there, but I had no notion of what the order should be. And so at a certain point, I just I started making lists and moving things around and deciding if, if something fit or didn't fit. And um, Eventually, I got to the point where I decided what I needed to do was take a sequence of, of three very short stories, which are called the Bowley stories, and rearrange them so they're non-chronological. So there's a story in which one of the characters is dead, and it comes before a story in which he's alive. And at the time, it seemed like a great idea, but, but it always makes me wince uh, ever since then, because I, I, I don't understand why I did that. And it was, I think it was just frustration with, with the whole process of having to arrange stories. The other thing I do is, is I tend to, to write um, really up until the last possible moment. So a uh, story called The Sansa Affair that's in An Altman's Tongue, a kind of long novella, is something that I gave um, to the, the publisher when, it was, when the book was already in proof pages. And uh, it just, you know, we, we, we snuck it in and, and, and got it in, and they were generous enough to do that. Um, and, but I, I, I felt like I had an order, but I also felt something was missing. And I, I think for me, it's, it's the process of realizing I have a kind of shape, but it needs something else. Um, that's a big deal. Um, I think that agents and publishers have two strategies they use um, when they're talking about marketability uh, with story collections. The first is to um, think of it as a showcase. So there's, this author can do anything, look at the variety of these stories, it's amazing, fireworks, so on and so forth. Uh, and the second is to try to see it as, as linked stories or a novel in stories. It's really a novel, that sort of thing. And I think if, if you're really committed to the form, um, which, which I am, then those strategies will work for you for some books and not for other books. And you, you have to make uh, a decision about that. I mean, I think in, in my case, um, sometimes that decision has been to go with a smaller press than I could go with uh, if I rearrange the stories in a particular way or if I change the names of a character in one story to be the same name as a character in another story. And uh, uh, so, so this is just something you have to face. It's something that aesthetically you have to make a decision about. Um, I, um, I was very lucky early on to have um, um, a, a kind of religious 
culture uh, reacts very negatively to my work, uh, and that made me um, feel very committed to what I was doing, <laughs> and made me realize that you know if, if people were going to get very upset with me, then I better know what I'm doing and think about it. And so I I, I think it is true. It, I, I know a lot of writers who. Um, very slowly have lost their integrity in the process of working with an agent or a publisher. And they've started with a collection that's very interesting and have ended up with a collection that's not. And uh, I, I think as a writer, you, you really have to decide where you, where you stand with these things, what your commitment is, what your understanding of your aesthetic is, and uh, where you're going to end up at the end of the day. Are you going to end up with uh, a, a, a collection that you feel is not your collection in some ways, as we see with someone like Raymond Carver and his nervousness about uh, his being edited, or are you going to end up with a collection you're happy with? That was really smart. Um, so um, when I was doing my collection, um, I had all of these small pieces, and I decided that I wanted it to be, you know, like I was saying before, very voiced. So I wanted the whole piece end to end to kind of sound sort of like like a song or something. Yeah, like a like a, almost like a song. So I kept reading them over. This is when I was ordering them. I kept reading them over and over again and trying to find which one would fit next to the next. You know how they would how they would fit ne best next to each other in terms of sound. Like I wanted the last sentence of um, the last story to be. Um, sort of a lead-in to the title of the next, and almost like I wanted almost the title of the next to be in response to the last line, or sort of angry at the last line, or um, you know. So and then, so that was really important to me. So I kept reading them over and over and over, and trying to order them, and I got really confused, and um, I couldn't even read them anymore, you know, it was like, it just sounded like gibberish in my head. So eventually, um, the editor just kind of ordered them for me. And, <laughs> but I did like this idea of having an arc. I thought that that was really interesting. So, um, I mean, I think that what some people do is they try to put their strongest stuff towards the front, and then they try to end with a really strong piece, and then they sort of have the stuff that they're not quite sure should really be in there in the middle, you know, or towards like three quarters of the way through. But that works really against the idea of having a narrative arc or, or having like an emotional arc. I mean, my book didn't have a narrative arc, but it did have, I wanted it to have this sort of emotional building to a climax kind of thing, which, um, you know, which I tried to do. Um, I don't know if I did it successfully, but I did make that effort. And um, the other thing that I wanted to say is that um, I really like what Brian was saying about just deciding at some point if you want the book to be yours or, you know, just how much are you willing to give up? Because, I mean, like, when I was, you know, talking to different publishers when everyone was rejecting me, you know, I had so many publishers saying, well, we're really interested in this, you know, if you could write a few more stories sort of like this. And it was like they were really pushing me to change what the collection was. And, um, you know, I will not be swayed, you know, is, I mean, you know, in retrospect, how long, you know, it took so long to get this stupid thing published that I probably just should have gone ahead and done it, but, you know, but I, I didn't, um, for better or for worse. So, I mean, I do think that it's, like, something that you have to just decide, you know, how much are you going to give? 
I just want to add the, something about the ordering of the stories. You know, there's the before you have the agent or the publisher and the after, and that's that's two different things. So when you were saying maybe, you know, narratively for the arc, it might not make sense to have all the stronger ones at the beginning. If you're trying to get an agent, I would shove them at the beginning. Um, and I, I just say that because I know my agent did the typical, like, give me the first three, or, or she grabbed them off the top. And I remember when she called me, she said, oh, I was on the subway reading them, and I went back home to get the rest. Well, if I'd put some weaker ones at the front, she probably wouldn't have gone back home to get the rest. So after that, then, then do that. But if you're still trying to get somebody's attention, obviously. It's really interesting to hear that you know, sort of, some people talk about like sort of not necessarily not having a map, not not have, not trying to map things. Um, I came to writing from computer programming, so I feel like I'm constantly mapping and charting and you know and and, and drawing little diagrams for myself. Uh, but um, I think the best um, for for me, you know, one probably the most helpful advice I got uh, when I was you know trying to figure out how to do my collection was. Uh, to look at endings and see if endings are different and how, you know, sort of how they're different is do the characters basically end up in the same, at the same place and the same, on the same emotion maybe at each one or is there some kind of change or is there some kind of movement happening from, from one ending to another. And that was really interesting because I, before that I, um, I hadn't thought of it. and. Uh, uh, you know that that kind of helped me look at the collection, you know, and how to figure out figure out the order. But um, in terms of you know, it's uh, it's true that uh, these days I think the collections are uh, so often are you know they centered around a theme, a group of people, a place, or you know an idea or concept of some sort. Um, or, you know that's like very easy to distinguish and market. Um, and I think in some cases it works wonderfully, and you know, and maybe in others not. But um, again, when I was working on my collection, I felt like, well, great, I have the, you know, I have the theme, I know sort of what I'm doing, you know, there's, I have the place, I have the group of people, I should be fine. And then I finished the draft by, I think, by the time I finished graduate school. And I, had, I was lucky enough to have a couple of agents willing to look at it, uh, to read the whole thing, and they both came back to me saying the same thing, uh, which was that there was too much sameness. And I was kind of taken aback because I thought, well, okay, well, I thought sameness was a good thing. I think, you know, it's like, the, the, yeah, there's the theme. But then after I thought about it and looked at it, for a couple of days I realized that they sort of had a point. I had too many stories basically saying the same thing, um, you know, uh, feeling very much alike in what they're saying and, you know, in the tone, in the tone and everything. So I kind of had to sit back um, and I spent, I think, a year looking at the collection and um, I ended up leaving off, li uh, you know, leaving um, off a couple, well, three or four probably stories and writing three or four new ones over the year. And... Uh, um, it ended up kind of being a different book um, by the by the end of the, by the end of that year. Um, so my next question, I guess, and you know, I think everybody already started talking a little bit about it. And you know, Deb, you talked about you know you had to leave off longer stories. What are, what what things people had to leave um, out of the collection uh, or collections, and um, how different was the final version from what you actually had in mind in the beginning, or how you envisioned it in the beginning? Um, so I figured I'll pick on you since you already started. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I had, um, I basically had to cut my collection, um, you know, in half. Well, I mean, just off the top, I had to cut 100, 100 pages worth of longer stories off of it. Um, and then I had to, um, and then I kept reading it over and over, um, and um, I ended up cutting like another 10 or 20 short shorts out of it. Um, just because I kept reading it and thinking, no, that's not right, that's not right. But in the meantime, I was writing new ones and I was sliding them in. Um, so, um, so I think in the end, I mean, not that it's necessarily, you know, a strong book as it is, you know, I hope it is, but I think in the end it is way stronger than it was when I originally started with it because, um, because it is really tight, you know. I, I think, I hope. Um, but the, um, I think that the ones that, the, the short shorts that I cut out, um, I cut them out um, partly because um, Dave Eggers told me to, and partly because um, my friends didn't like the stories. Um, and then I think also because um, they just didn't kind of, um, like some of them sounded too much the same like the other pieces. There were several that, you know, it was like I was kind of trying to do something over and over and over. And you know like how painters, they paint like the same lemon again and again, you know? So I was doing that, so I had to cut out the, all the lemons except for the one. And then, um, and some were too different um, and didn't fit, so. Um, I. Uh I mean, I tended to, uh, once I finished a collection and it's been accepted, then I, I try to think really seriously about um, uh, what the weak stories are and, and try to just be as objective as possible, which can be very hard. Um, the, the only way I can find of, of kind of getting that objectivity is just um, having some time away from the collection or just reading like 20 books in a row and, and being in other people's worlds for a while. Um, and and so so usually when I'm writing stories and putting stories in at the end, it's so that I can take other stories out. Um, when I, when I published the Wavering Knife, uh, there there was there were a couple of stories that were too similar, as as Deb is saying, and they were perfectly you know they they worked well, but they didn't work well together, and weren't comfortable together, and that was something that that I kind of knew but had repressed, and that the the editor of the book. Um, you know, once he said it, I realized, well, yeah, this is a problem. Um, so, so for for me, I, I think that different books have had um, different um, kind of. Uh, I, I think pretty close to about seventy-five percent of the uh, collection is is the collection that I um, gave to the the publisher. Uh, the the collection I was talking about before, which was not published and then was later republished, I published it enough years later. Um, after it was written that I felt like I had to write about, um, you know, um, for 40% of the stories are probably new. And it was very strange to go back into the space and rework this collection that I would have been very happy with at one particular moment in my life and no longer was. So. Oh, um, yeah, I'm, uh, my collection too ended up quite slim compared to how it originally went out. and. Um, of the stories that I cut out, though, there's really only one that I regret not being in a book just because it was a good story, but it was thematic, not thematically, but um, 
you know, the characters had nothing to do with the characters in the linked stories. There was no way to shove them in and pretend that they were part of that storyline. So I had to give it up. Um, and at the same time, it's interesting hearing people saying how the sameness comes up. I, I mentioned before that I had a story about bridesmaids that I'd written as a story, or a, about a, a bridal shower, and that this whole book that I'd had in mind as a novel was ended up, it culminated with uh, a wedding scene um, that became the last story in the collection. You know, the actual bridal shower party, I cut out in the end because it sort of said the same things that were happening in that in the wedding scene, which again had been part of a different book. So I thought I had two books, and I ended up with one. So that shows how much was cut. <laughs> um, and I will say in the end, I'm happy with it because it became this kind of unified book that tells a story that has an arc and goes forward in time and ends up, I think, in a satisfying way. So I'm happy that somebody told me to do that. But um, you know, that just again, it's being aware that you have to write twice as much as gets published and give something up that, for me, that one story that I thought was really good that nobody will know about. I ended up cutting a story that probably the first story I wrote for that collection, and I was kind of, a, it was also the first story I ever published. So I was very much attached to it, and I wrote it in the first person plural, and I thought it would be, you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, having, you know, read and loved the uh, Virgin Suicides, and I, I really wanted it to be there, but it was just, there was another story that do, was doing the same thing and, and doing it better, so I did end up having to cut it. I also ended up with, um, basically as a thread of, um, I think, six stories um, about the same character um, and her family, um, and which I think made it easy to call, easy, made, made it easier to call the book a novel in stories, which is basically a marketing thing, and you know, and was a marketing decision done by the editors. Um, so switching to that, to editors and agents, I think switching gears a little bit, um, I think probably one of the biggest questions is giving why is it so hard to sell collections, and what can what can we do about it? What kind of advice can we come up with in terms of um, finding agents um, or finding publishers for um, for the short story collections for these books? Um, and anyone who wants to, yeah. I'll, I'll answer that real quick and then um, real quick because I hope anyway people have questions. So we're gonna we'll, we'll speed it up. Um, one thing I would say about like. I think of short story writers as like the poets of the prose world um, in, in the sense of not making any money really and letting go of the expectation. It's more like a drug addiction, frankly, like a kind of benign creative addiction. Um, disapproval from family, a lot of depressed time alone. It's like an obsessive pattern. And you have to make your peace with that. Uh, if you really choose, as Brian was suggesting, if it's really what you want to do, if it's your art or your vocation, um, and you're not just, uh, have, you don't view yourself as just having training wheels until you figure out how to write a novel, which is how the commercial side of the business has and I suspect will make you feel if it hasn't yet. Where's your novel? They should just have a fucking agent doll with a string you pull that says, where's your novel? <laughs> <coughs> and I could shoot it with a BB gun. Um, 
But uh, you, you should make your peace with that, that this is not something you're doing to make money or try to support yourself. And that, you know, I think a lot of people on the panel have uh, the university as a patron, and God bless the university for serving as a patron. And I do other kinds of freelance work and so forth to make my nut. It's certainly not from, from short story collections. And that, in a certain way, is a relief because it means, like the poets, that you don't have to um, worry about. I mean, there's about one maybe profitable short story collection written in this country a year, right? And Jhumpalahari already wrote it, okay? So <laughs> let yourself off the hook. You, that's not the business you're in. You're really trying to make the best um, collection of stories you can. And think about, rather than worrying about getting a big deal agent and whether you're really a made person, which is just an anxiety that's coming from your family anyway, now that you've chosen to do this thing that's not quite as bad as being a homosexual, but it's right up there, um, you should just think about, well, maybe I want to publish a set of stories with a small press. That's what I did, thank God, and that's what I'll do with the next set of short stories. I won't try to sell them to some big New York house. It's just asking for trouble. It's not saying that if you get an offer and they're excited, you shouldn't be excited about that. But they have to be interested in the work that you want to put into the world, and you have to know what that work is. And it doesn't mean you don't listen to the voice of reasonable people suggesting, whether it's an agent or an editor, hey, I think you're headed in this direction. I think your map will be even better if you do X, Y, or Z. That's great. You should always be open to that feedback. But if you know the kind of work you want to be writing, don't, don't have the stars in your eyes notion that an agent is going to make it for you and that getting a big New York house is what's going to do it. Because in the end, those story collections almost never make money. And that's how they're judging you, because it's an industry at that level. The smaller presses are in it also, to a greater extent because they really believe in art and want to put it into the world. And it will find the readers it needs to. Not a zillion of them, but the ones, you know, the ones that it needs to find. Yeah, I, I, that's great. <laughs> I have two bits of advice. So the first one is um, to just try and get the stories published individually to give them that life. First of all, because it's satisfying to you if that's what you're doing. You know it's been read even if it never makes it to a book. Um, and also, obviously, that's something you can put in your cover letter when you are trying to attract an agent. And then as for the luck of finally getting it published, um, I, I, this is my personal advice. I don't know if other people will agree. You know, I had about four different agents interested in supposedly selling my collection that whole time when it was this weird, some linked, some not. And I didn't go with any of them because each one of them would say either going back to the big house versus small, you know, well, we don't sell anything um, unless it's $50,000 to a big house, you know? So I'm thinking, well, what if that doesn't happen? Does that mean she just gives up on me? Because she didn't seem like she was sure she could do that, so I didn't go with her. I thought this other person said they were willing to go to university presses. I thought, that sounds good, but she seems a little um, insecure about the whole thing. I don't really feel good about that. And two other you know, people, well, just so you know, it's really hard to sell. So I thought, I don't feel comfortable. I waited till the person called me and said, I'm going to sell your book. Here's what you need to do. And I thought, then I'll go with this person. So I think go with your gut if you're, when it comes to actually selling the thing as a book. Um, go with your gut when you feel like this is time for it to go out. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I agree with, uh, with Daphne about sending short stories out as you write them, as you're working on them, as they become ready, because that, I think, helped me a lot to, in, you know, well, the, yeah, the idea that they get read, but also, you know, in practical terms when you're writing those letters to the agent, um, you know, that help, you know, that helps to get, you know, the agent's attention. Um, and uh, I guess the biggest advice is probably just kind of don't give up and be patient because for every acceptance there's oh so many rejections and you know this already but um, you know I got this with agents um, you know I would get letters that would be just basically saying looks good get get back to us when you have a novel um, you know and so I got those sort of re sort of rejections from agents and once I had an agent um, I think you know once this the story the collection like I think follow it's to follow us got rejected from a lot of places and I mean you know it does take one and in hopefully the one place that there will be one you know one place that is excited about and believes in the book um, and that will put it out and that's the place um, you know to wait for I guess and I mean you know it's because it's such a subjective world that it doesn't really matter anything if 20 publishing houses rejected it. It doesn't mean that there will be one there won't be one that will accept it, will believe it believe in it and will make it great, will make it a great success. And you know so it's history knows those examples I think as well. So. Uh, I I for years I fought with agents about, you know, I, I had I think the same thing that a lot of people here had uh, who really wanted me to do a novel and were willing to kind of look at my stories, but you know, that's really what they wanted to have and sell. And then finally I have an agent now who, who uh, um, came, who, who wrote to me and had read a lot of my stories and could talk really articulately about them and, and likes that I do them. And even though he knows that makes him, you know, potentially a great deal less money than it might otherwise. Uh, I, I do think it's great to publish in magazines. I think that, you know, that's where the life of the culture often is. Uh, is in small presses and small magazines and uh, all these things that are kind of swelling up out of the ground. I also think there's different sensibilities to novelists and short, short story writers that you, you, you do tend to be drawn as a writer more towards one or towards the other. And as a reader, I'm much more drawn to short stories as, as well. I like the, the precision of them. I like that um, you, can, you can do a lot in a short space. Um, I like uh, especially those writers who, who um, do a lot with language and um, you know, manage to get, get a lot um, in, in just a few pages. And uh, um, I, I think you probably know where you stand um, in regard to, to that, whether you're someone who, who gravitates more towards one thing or, or, or another. And uh, I, I, I think it's kind of hard to fake. I wrote, when I wrote the novel that um, just came out, um, the only, uh, I was thinking of it as just a series of three novellas. And that worked really well as long as I was writing the first two. And then I got to the third one and realized, oh my god, this all has to come together in some way. And, and then I had like four years of misery as I tried to figure out how to do that. <laughs> and and uh, um, But I, I think I basically taught myself how to do it. But again, I, I do feel like I'm very committed to the short story. Um, well, I think that um, 
you know, you should probably just write a novel, frankly. I mean, it's so... <laughs> you know, when my story collection got rejected everywhere, I mean, and I had an agent who really believed in the short stories. I mean, I didn't have any novel when I came to her, and she's a fantastic agent, and she was so tireless. She just kept sending it. She was so nice, and it was just rejected and rejected. And she was like, well, you know, you should probably write a novel, finally. So I did. I spent two years three years I spent three years writing a novel and then I sent it to her and she was like this is awful <laughs> she was like your stories are so much better than me this is like, you don't even know what the hell you're doing and I had to admit that I didn't let me just say one thing about the short story form and I say this as somebody who also has written a couple of really bad novels I haven't figured out how to paint on that large a canvas and I'll feel like a failure until I do um, which is fine that's part of what a career is you you know you figure out what your failures are and you tr try to be determined and, and um, succeed but I think part of the reason that short stories aren't more embraced in the culture is because that they, they make a greater emotional demand on the reader. You cannot skip a, a line or a paragraph or a page in a novel's a longer experience where there are multiple plot lines going and the best short stories, motherfucking Frank O'Connor's Guest of, an, of the Nation is, an, is better than any novel I've ever read. And most of Hemingway's short stories are better than his novels. And, and uh, not having read his most recent novel, but I warrant that uh, Jesus' Son I know, having read Dennis Johnson's other novels, those are, you know, Flannery O'Connor short stories are far. Anybody read The Violent Barrett Away? I read it, but I don't remember it. But I remember all their short stories. They're more, they're more intense. They make a greater demand. And um, that is, it may be devalued in the commercial sense, but don't, don't let that confuse you in an artistic sense. All right, um, marketing stuff. Um, write a candy book. <laughs> so that you eventually are known as the candy book writer. Um, I guess that's one possibility, is find another genre. The only reason that I was able to sell my second short story collection was because it was attached to the chocolate book. Um, and I sold those, you know, just without an agent, just sent them to, to uh, a few publishing houses. So that's one possible strategy, is find a more lucrative um, what the marketing people call it, platform, I think, disgustingly. But I don't know. I don't really want to talk about you know the marketing stuff. Everything I do, which consists of writing lots of essays and 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 um, just doing a lot of, are all or oriented around getting people to the work that I think is the best, which is the short stories. And so I think that's fine. Do whatever you have to do, but keep in mind that you pretty much. W if you're not trying to get people to the deepest work, then you've become a different kind of writer. You become more like a writer for hire. And it's okay if you need to, su I need to support my family. So there's various kinds of writing I have to do. And I also do want to have other venues through which maybe some people might read my dopey dad blog and maybe get to my short stories. And that would be a mitzvah, it'd be wonderful. Um, but if that's not the end goal, to be creating the best work and somehow getting readers to it, then you're just sort of a gun for hire at that point. And, you know, ugh, marketing. <laughs> you guys ever heard Bill Hicks talk about marketing? Anybody ever heard Bill Hicks's routine about marketing? You should, just, you should kill yourself. If you're in marketing, kill yourself. No, I'm not kidding. Kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll just say quickly, um, 
I know there are some writers who are really good at doing things like keeping blogs and websites and stuff or being interactive somehow with their audience, no matter how big or small that is. And I think that in the end, with the story collection, you know, it's probably not going to make a huge difference, I don't know, in how many copies you sell, but it's whatever makes you feel like you have a hand in it or if you want to feel like you're doing something to promote it. Um, I don't like doing that kind of thing, so I didn't do it. So, <laughs> um, But, you know, there's a marketing department. Like, when you meet with editors, it kind of freaked me out. They introduce you to the marketing people. And that was when I realized it was about kind of, oh, can we look and see who you are and how we can market you? But, you know, if there, maybe you just pick, if you have a choice, you pick the publisher who looks like their marketers are more serious about you and have ideas about how to market you. But probably most of the time, if it's a story collection, there's not going to be a lot of push for it anyway. So I don't know. I think it really varies from, from press to press. And so I, when I published my, my first book with Knopf, um, they gave me a marketing budget of zero. And I thought, well, this is strange. It's a big press. Um, and it's just that they have so many other books that, that um, are, are, were bigger than mine and more interesting to them than mine that they just were, you know, they knew they'd have a certain number of sales just by publishing the book. And so anything I, I was, uh, um, that was going to be done to support the book was something I had to do. And, you know, other presses, it's, it's been different. I had a press that got very excited because they had made a poster for me. You know, and that, that was kind of the extent of their marketing. Um, I had an, another press who was very excited to arrange a tour for me, but very excited to have me pay for the tour. Um, and, you know, you just, you, you learn to do certain kinds of things like that and, and uh, um, it, you know, enjoy them or, or at least uh, tolerate them. Um, and but I you know I, I have other press the, the, my most recent press coffee house uh, um, you know they they have to kind of be since they're a small press they have to be behind every book they do and they don't have a lot of marketing money but they figured out ways of, of getting the book out to, to blogs and everyone in the press ends up being very supportive of the book and you know every book has to work for them they can't just publish a book and, and, and not let it work and so so I, I think it really varies from place to place. Um, depending on the size of the press and everything. Brian, can I say one quick thing about that, yeah. uh, which is do what you, um, when it comes down to you have a book and now you're figuring out how to market, do what the stuff that you really are good at and that you enjoy. So, for instance, when, when the first book came out, Heavy Metal came out, they gave me 2000 bucks to, and, but they set up like 35 readings and, you know, all around. So it's like... All right, here's two thousand dollars. Have at it. You really love doing readings, and I just slept on slept on people's floors, basically. Yeah. I mean, these stupid fucking hotels. Like, what are you? We're authors of short stories. You shouldn't be in a hotel unless it's a you know Motel Six. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, that it's important to just make sure that you want to do. If, if there's things that you're good at, that's the stuff that you should do. To, if you want to call it marketing, I call it trying to get people to the work. But right. you know, do the stuff that you dig. No, I, I, I agree with that completely. I mean, you shouldn't do a blog if you're going to do one entry on your blog and then never do it again. I mean, you just you you kind of yeah you you, you go to your strengths and figure out how you're going to support it that way. Um, I guess that um, I think that marketing is really important, and um, it's the only thing that's going to help your next book. I mean, it's not the only thing, but it's a really important thing um, in terms of getting your next book um, accepted somewhere. And um, 
and no one ever does anything for me in terms of that and um, so I have to do it all myself and um, and I have no idea how to do it so it's it's pretty awful but um, yeah I mean um, when what I, I just set up a lot of readings um, I think one thing that, that McSweeney's did do, I mean, McSweeney's is the best, you know, because people want to just sort of, you know, get their stuff anyway, you know, whoever's name is on it, if it says McSweeney's, you know, they want it. So, um, so I was really, really lucky in that regard. But, um, but one thing that they did do was they took the book and they sent it out to a bunch of places, um, you know, I mean, I guess that they just, you know, presses just do that, right? They sent it out, you know, for reviews, and it didn't really get a lot of reviews, but it did mean that at least people knew that it existed in the world, so that was really helpful. And then, um, but I set up a lot of readings just myself, and um, I didn't do, I didn't do a blog or, or anything like that. Um, I don't know if that, maybe that would have helped. I don't know. I mean, it seems to me like blogs really help, um, but I, I didn't do it. I also end up, ended up setting um, readings, and uh, the, these days I think the official line is that readings don't sell books. It's a you know reading tour is kind of a waste of time and waste waste of money, and that's why publishing houses don't send short story writers um, on tours. But one thing I found out, I sort of set it up kind of myself, and it wasn't as you know huge as 35 you know cities or anything like that. But I mean you know it took 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 me a while. Uh, one thing I found out that once you are actually going somewhere, there is a good chance that the you know the publicist will actually set up an interview or try to get a book review because you happen to happen to be in um, somewhere in Wisconsin or in Seattle. You know, so uh, interviews or you know a book review can pop up here and there that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So you know that makes it you know kind of add, you know makes it make more sense to do those, uh, to do readings, well, and of course connect with the people and, you know, and that's very gratifying. Though having done that this past fall, I want to hide somewhere and not travel anywhere for the next five years. <laughs> so, but that's me. Thank you for tuning in to the AWP podcast series. For other podcasts, please visit our website at www.awpwriter.org.